Hello, and welcome to episode 122 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Chastity A to the Modern Manager community. To everyone who's listening, I hope you'll join me in the members-only Slack group by becoming a member for only $2 a month. In addition, members get discounts, and at various levels, you can also get episode guides and guest bonuses, like the chance to win a free coaching call with prior guest Todd Palmer of episode 119. You can also join our monthly group coaching calls, where we meet twice a month for an hour and talk through whatever it is that you are struggling with and where you get to share your experience and advice with other managers. Go to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn more. And if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. Now, today's guest is Bill Ekstrom. Bill is the founder and CEO of Excel Institute, the world's first and only organization to measure and quantify leadership effectiveness. He is considered one of the world's top authorities in metric-based performance coaching and growth. His book, The Coaching Effect, co-authored by Excel Institute President Sarah Wirth, helps leaders at all levels understand the necessity of challenging people out of their comfort zone to create high-growth organizations. Bill and I talk about the four growth rings, the importance of distinguishing between a performance goal and a growth goal, how growth only happens through a state of discomfort, and your role as a manager in supporting your team members through those growth states. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Bill, it is such a pleasure to have you today. You know, it's funny because usually our pre-conversations I have with guests, we just talk about random stuff, but I feel like we were talking about the pandemic, which led perfectly into what we're going to talk about now and the experience of change and how you navigate that and how you handle stress and complexity and all of that fun stuff. So I'm super excited for this conversation. Good. Maybe so am I. All right. So let's maybe start with this kind of foundational concept because I think we can then take it in lots of different directions as we go. So you did a TED Talk. You talk about the four rings. I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you explain that whole thing to my audience. (laughs) That's hard to do uh, in this, but so the, the title of the TED Talk was called Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. And it's really based on a body of research that we do when we study great leaders and coaches, managers in business. And one of the things we found that they did uniquely and differently to get what we call high growth teams. Now, keep in mind, I separate performance and growth. In the world of sport where we work as well, performance sometimes is the goal, not growth. But nine times out of 10, growth is a goal. Anyway, and what we found with these great leaders and coaches and managers is they challenged, they created a healthy discomfort for the people on their teams. And the reason that's important is because growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. So the TED Talk was about what we call the growth rings, which the growth rings depict living environments that promote or hinder growth. And of the four growth rings being stagnation, which is pretty self-explanatory, negative growth, chaos, which is another one, which is very low growth, uh, low performing, 
which leaves us with order and what we refer to as complexity. Order is where everybody wants to be. It's predictable inputs and predictable outcomes and predictability makes us comfortable. And that's what everybody, I think even subconsciously, why I know subconsciously, we're always looking for predictable outcomes because it's predictability, again, that creates comfort. But when you change your order, you enter into complexity environment and complexity is unknown outcomes. So differed inputs, but unknown outcomes. And that's what creates unpredictability. And that's what creates discomfort. So when growth only occurs in a state of discomfort, a lot of times it's the role of the manager to have a wonderful trust-based relationship. By having that in place, it allows a great manager, leader, coach to be able to challenge somebody uniquely to help them grow. So that's what the TED Talk is around. And the gist of it is growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. So I want to come back to this, but you mentioned the difference between performance and growth. And sometimes the goal is performance and sometimes the goal is growth. Can you say more about that? And when is it that we are striving performance and when is it that we should be focusing on growth and pushing people into that state of complexity? Yeah. So to tackle that question, so, and I'll use just the world of sport here for a second, a gymnast who is in a competition, their goal is performance, right? They need a bigger, a better number on a routine. So if it's a floor routine, a gymnast uh, may be averaging a 9.8 and now they want to get a 9.9. So they have the ability to to perform at a, at, you know, peak perform at a higher level. Growth, however, is the goal through practices. Growth is progression. So I can grow, I can have the talents, the abilities, but not be able to put it into performance, say, during a meet. And those are usually mental issues. Applying that to business is we have to, as managers, coaches, leaders, always be improving our skill sets. And our, when I talk about skill sets, I'm talking about the, the way we do things, so how we do it, and what we do. And that's really where growth comes in for coaches and leaders and managers, is to really become better at what I do and how I do it, and which could open up a whole different can of worms because that's one of the things we research is what the great leaders, coaches, and managers do differently. You know, as I'm trying to think about how to translate it from sports to business. Well, first, my daughter's a gymnast. And so, like, I love that when you chose sports, you chose gymnastics <laughs> and not a typical football or baseball, something like that. So that's awesome. But secondly, you know, it makes me think about all of the kind of the individual skills and competencies and capabilities that we develop that there may not be like the one place where everything kind of comes together and it's like a big performance and it's like ta-da's, but it's actually the combination of all those different things that we have developed and grown over time that allow us to achieve whatever goal it is that we are we're working on. And you know, of course I'm like a big supporter of helping people grow and support and you know develop, but I never had really thought about it in this way of growth can happen through here's a very particular skill that you need to learn or here's a you know something that's going on that is challenging for you and so we're going to really work on that which i think is somewhat different than we're going to 
give you an opportunity. We're going to put you into a state where things are not comfortable and you're going to grow organically almost through that discomfort. Maybe I'm making it up here or taking this down a tangent, but that's what I'm picking up from our conversation. Is that accurate? Yes, that's. I think you said it really well, Mamie. And I'll, and I'll give a very specific example. For example, when we study uh, managers and coaches, and I'll use the term coach a lot, even in business, you know, we think people should behave more like a high performance coach, high growth coach versus a manager or a leader, because coaches always have people that report to them. I can be a great leader and be a follower with, with leadership behaviors. So anyway, getting back to that, we are able to discern through our research, and we've researched over 150,000 coaching interactions in the workplace now. We're able to discern from that there are four primary activities that great leaders and coaches do that create more discretionary effort from the people on their teams. And those are doing consistent one-to-one meetings, doing annual career development plans, providing written documented feedback on their skills, and the fourth is holding consistent, well-constructed team meetings. And when you, you can explain this and tell them not just what to do, but how to do them well to a group of, say, 100 managers or leaders in the business, only probably 30 to 40% of them will typically do it because we're asking them to do things differently. And in spite of the results, we can show them statistically, here's the results over thousands and thousands of, of managers from throughout the world. If you do these things and do them well, your teams will grow disproportionately to all the rest of the managers. And in spite of that information, what we've learned is we're making them uncomfortable. So now I have to do one-on-one meetings every other week and do them for an hour with my people. I have to document my feedback quarterly. And people would rather manage their old ways versus managing differently because doing it differently is creating an unknown outcome. It's creating discomfort. So they just go back to doing what they've always done. That's so fascinating that their interpretation, and it makes sense, right? This is how humans function. But you're basically telling them it's not an unknown outcome. Here's the data I have to prove that these behaviors are linked to these outcomes. And yet still that discomfort of doing things differently, of having probably to spend more time in meetings, which let's be honest, like nobody wants to go to meetings except for me. (laughs) I love meetings, but most people hate meetings and the idea of doing more meetings or having to plan for meetings, right? Having to like write stuff down, like take notes or document that performance feedback. Like all of that is probably, you know, feels like work and they'd rather like not, not do it. That is so fascinating. So do you have any tips or tricks or things that have helped spark people to, to do those changes, to kind of step into that discomfort? That's another great question. And I wish I had the universal answer to that because, you know, you and I might not even be on this call. We'd be doing other things. First of all, I, I think everything begins with learning something new. And one of the things that I've understood is when I, you know, we're the ones who came up with this concept of the growth rings. And when people listen, for example, to that idea, they don't look at change or discomfort the same way as they used to, which seems to help. Oh, my manager's not being mean. They're 
putting some pressure on me because that's going to help me grow. So it's really understanding how growth occurs. And, and if I understand how that works, I don't look at, at discomfort in that visceral avoidance. I look at it as an opportunity. So it starts with education in my mind. And then from there, it goes to just putting in, um, you have to change your mindset if you're going to change behaviors. I mean, let's face it. The way I think creates my emotion. The way I emote creates my behaviors. So if I can change my mindset, I will naturally change behaviors or, or at least do it much easier. So I read something a while ago about this topic and a guy who decided to do something that made him uncomfortable every day to try to build his tolerance around discomfort. So things like going into a coffee shop and just asking if they would give him a free coffee, knowing that like they were probably going to say no. And it wasn't actually about getting the coffee. It was simply about going through the process of doing something that felt uncomfortable and building a tolerance for that discomfort. Have you heard about anything like that? Or have you seen people do that kind of stuff to try and get more comfortable with discomfort? It's funny you ask that because I live that. I Now knowing how this works, knowing that the more discomfort I create for my brain, the more change resilient I become. So, and it's funny that you brought up, like, for example, coffee. It's the smallest things. When I put my belt on in the morning, I put it on the backwards, the other way now. Instead of stringing it around my belt loops from counterclockwise, I go clockwise. Just little things. When I brush my teeth, start with my lower teeth versus my upper teeth. I mean, there's little things you can adapt to all day long that make you change resilient. My morning routines, I get up, you know, I get my coffee going, and I sit down, and I start in now journaling in the morning. The first thing I do before I don't even look at emails. The first thing I do is, you know, because I would immediately get in and start working. Well, now I don't. I do journaling. I call it a brain download. And then when I'm done with that, I start writing gratitudes and reading old gratitudes as a different way to start my day. So I think there's little things we can do to make ourselves get out of basically the neural pathways that we're in in our brain that really adapt us to become more change resilient, maybe. I love those. And now my brain is spinning with all the little things I want to try to do differently to help myself. Um, but what if, like to take this on an, another route of what if I want to help someone else? Like what if I have a team member that I know they're a steady as a rock person. I'm thinking about someone like my husband who is super reliable, you know, like you know you can count them, but as soon as things go up in the air and there's some ambiguity or things are changing, they get kind of like, ah, are there things that we can do or are there ways that we can talk to them about both the value of change, but also kind of help them become more comfortable with this idea that we are going to be actively putting them into situations that are a little more complex, a little more ambiguous, a little bit more kind of, you know, not their norm. Mm-hmm. Right. What I found seems to work with stuff like that. And so now you're, now you're back to kind of the coaching ideas, right? If I'm a manager, I have people on my team that that's kind of how they're wired. It really begins with questions. And those are, as you know, some of the most powerful things we can do as managers, coaches, and leaders is is ask great questions. It's not our role to have answers. 
it is our role is to ask the best questions. And if we think about it from that perspective, to be able to say, hey, tell me about a time just, you know, when you really had a lot of growth that was happening in your life and what was going on at that time. So now we're getting to talk about experiences and being able to tie events or circumstances to growth. And, and a lot of times there, there comes realizations from that that they realize are beneficial. I've had people when, when I go into detail and explain the growth rings where there are just aha moments on, oh my gosh, that's why this is happening this way. Or that's why the home office keeps putting you know, these new initiatives on our plate and so on and so forth. So people have those realizations and they can make them personal. I think that's the first step to helping them realize then, hey, this next thing, how, how will it really be different from that trying time in your life back when you were starting this new role and this happened? But you said there's a lot of growth that surrounded it. So people can, if they can begin to link those together, that can help. Mm-hmm. I know. What about when somebody is actually in that messy phase and they're in that growth moment? How do we support our colleagues when they're, you know, probably not feeling all that great about their work, right? Or they they may be really struggling because they need to struggle in order to grow. Are there things that we should or shouldn't do to support them during that? Yes. It's first of all, to acknowledge that they're there. And it's funny because this applies to parenting, it applies to coaching, it applies to leadership, which is, first of all, that acknowledgement, hey, I know you're in a tough time right now, but I'm confident you're going to be okay. So I'm going to let you just kind of wallow in this for a while because on the other side of this, there's going to be good growth. So first of all, acknowledgement is there. Number two is to let them know, hey, listen, I care. I care deeply. But to be able to smile and say, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. If you have questions, you can come talk to me. Of course, I'll be here for you, but I will not do the job for you. You'll figure it out. I have every confidence in you. Now, the negative things, it's, you know, it's kind of the old, hey, suck it up. You know, that's part of the role. Just go do. It's those things that really aren't helping the matter much when you do that. Or if, you know, if I don't trust you and you, you know, again, you start to push me into this complex environment of uh, I'll rebel. So it's really supporting them, letting them know you care. And it's like, you know, I, and I used that example during the TED talk of my daughter in tennis, but the old Bill Ekstrom, the old me pre-growth ring me, I bailed people out. I was a fixer, but that's what I did. That's what I thought great leaders and managers did, right? We fix problems for people. And I couldn't have been so far from the truth. It's to help empower them to fix problems. I have heard more leaders say, my job is to remove obstacles so my people can perform. That is so wrong. Your job is to teach them how to remove obstacles so they can perform. Oh, I so love that. And I'm totally one of those people who've said, your job is to help remove obstacles. And now I'm going to change that tune because it's so true, right? The, the more that we can enable people to serve themselves, the more successful they will be and the more successful we will be. So I'm so on board with that. You know, you can't, you can't help your daughter in gymnastics have a better, I mean, you can't force her to have a better mindset, but you can give her the tools so she can 
have a better mindset. Totally. And I want to circle back to something you just said too about, you know, we can't do it for them and, you know, we shouldn't be swooping in to support when they like let them know that we're there and we can help them and everything. And I imagine that there's an element of patience that we actually need to have and train ourselves to say, it might go slower. It might be a little bumpier. It might be a lot of them coming in and saying, I need help. And that we as the manager have to develop our own resilience and comfort with that discomfort of having our people struggle. And I know like, I don't want to watch my team struggle. Like it's hard to watch people struggle. And so that is a growth edge for us as managers. (laughs) You said that infinitely well. That's exactly right. And the reason I found myself doing it is because when I look back on it now, it made me uncomfortable to see them be uncomfortable. It's the same way in parenting, right? It's the same way in work. It's the same way in the world of sport. We have to be able to have those patience and once to, to be able to step back, to watch, to, to, to really see them work through something. Now, it may even fail, but so what? There's more growth through failure or just as much growth through failure as there is success. And I, I tell young people all the time, they say, well, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I haven't figured out my career path. And my response is, well, go just start it. And if you fail, you can look back and say, hey, I know that one isn't the right path for me. I mean, my goodness. So we just have to, we got to quit worrying about failure and just allow people to struggle a little bit. And to your point, as coaches and leaders, managers, we have to learn patience. We have to be able to sit back because you think about it logically, how can you scale if we're not having the people around us continually grow in those roles? If you're always stepping in and fixing it for them, they never learn to do it on their own. We can't scale. We can't grow. So we only have a few minutes left, but I want to ask one maybe controversial question here, which is, are there times when order is actually better? Like, are there times where we want to keep our people in that state of order and not be pushing into complexity? Or is there generally a rule of thumb that says, whenever we can grow, we should be growing? Wow, that's a really good question, too. And in our book, it's called The Coaching Effect. In The Coaching Effect, we talk more in depth about order, and we see a healthy order in the highest growth teams. So, yes, we cannot live our lives in a state of discomfort nor should we induce a constant state of discomfort for our teams. It's healthy order. It's, it's order that allows us to go into times of discomfort and be able to tolerate it. So in business, you know, we see healthy order and things like you, you, you create a budget. There's an order and a process to the fact that, hey, my people know that Every week, we do one-on-one meetings. There's no guesswork there. It's a very predictable outcome. You know, Wednesdays at one, I meet with Bill. That's my one-on-one meeting. So that predictability that order brings in business can be very healthy, and it's needed because there always has to be instances of challenge and discomfort if there's going to be growth too. So there's finding that balance, and there's a little more art there than there is science when finding the balance because it's unique to each person. 
because what could be order to you for you maybe could be complexity for me and vice versa. So that's where great coaching comes in. I know when this person really needs to be find some comfort and order in their life for a while because they're just pulling their hair out of work. And likewise, I could be able to look at someone else and say, you know what, they're just kind of humming along here and there's just not a lot, you know, they need a new challenge. So there's good times for order. There's good times for complexity. So I think this is the perfect place for us to wrap up. So Bill, can you tell us about one of the great managers that you had the privilege of working for and what made this person so fantastic? His name also, ironically, was Bill. So I wrote about him in the book, The Coaching Effect. There I named him Mitch because we just the publisher said it would screw, screw too many things. It would confuse too many people. <laughs> Bill was the consummate challenger coach. There was nothing I could do that I would do that he wouldn't challenge. And a lot of times, even though he knew it was the right move and the right decision, he was still challenged to make sure I thought through all the peripheral impacts that the decisions would have. Every year was, okay, what are we going to do differently so we can grow more this year? But while he was the challenger, he also cared about me deeply. I mean, he would always ask about the kids. He'd ask, he'd have any time I would come into town, he'd want me to bring my wife. He'd make sure our wives spent time together. Probably 30% of our conversations had nothing to do with business and had to do with family and kids and politics. There were just a lot of different things. So better than anything, Billy knew me as a person. And then, man, did he never accept anything but hard work and growth. And he did that through challenging questions. Oh, I love it. You can see how much he's impacted you just in terms of the work you do too, which is super cool. So now where can people learn more about you and keep up with the work you do? Oh, thank you for that opportunity. Several areas. Our company is called Excel Institute and it's spelled E-C-S-E-L-L. Excel Institute's research-based company where, you know, we all of our programming and working with leaders and coaches and organizations has to, it's all based on data and research. So excelinstitute.com. I do have billextrum.com as well. There's the TED Talk. And lastly, the book, of course, it's, which has been on the bestseller list now since it's released this last year. Um, and it's really, if you really want to learn how to become a great coach, great manager, great leader of the coaching effect, again, it's based on the research of 100,000 plus coaching interactions in the workplace. So thank you for the opportunity to give that plug, Mamie. Of course. Well, thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and for pushing me to think even about my own little routines. I'm going to try putting my belt on backwards tomorrow and see how it goes. <laughs> You're not going to like how it feels. <laughs> if you want to learn more from Bill, he is offering a discount to his Leadership Training Academy to members of the Modern Manager community. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And don't forget, if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of all membership levels. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. And you can find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, 
visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.